Welcome to the Heart of Healing, the Good News Episodes. I'm your host, Tom Fold. In these episodes, we will speak with people who are healers, who are positive, compassionate, and who bring a bit of good news into our lives in these stressful times. Listen with an open heart to those who are offering their hearts and talents to all of us. It is our wish that each of these episodes will bring a smile to your face and hope to your heart. And to help us do that today, we have a special guest, Jen Taylor, who is a behavioral health clinical case manager. Welcome, Jen. Thank you. Good to see you, Tom. Glad to see you here. And that's a big mouthful of behavioral health clinical case manager. Tell us, what does that actually mean? What do you do? <laughs> Certainly. I um, have the privilege of working with um, folks who have um, carry our insurance who have recently been in the hospital for inpatient psych unit or for um, substance abuse services. And I work with them to help them stay healthy. Uh, the goal is that they um, get access to providers, get transportation to appointments, get their medications refilled, get any necessary uh, medical equipment that they may need or any other um, issues that arise with insurance that I could help problem solve those so that they can um, be healthy and well and be the most that they are intended to be in this world. Right. Well, so you're, you're problem solving for them as part of what you're doing. Right. I'm partnering with them. I, um, I'm walking alongside them so that they can, um, their goal is to be healthy as well. And um, but sometimes it's hard to navigate um, through the insurance system. And it, sometimes it's hard to um, figure things out that we don't, we've never dealt with before. So um, yeah, my goal is to just provide that support to them. And how long have you been doing this particular job? Uh, about two and a half years, about uh, three years. Yep. And time goes by. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What was the background? What did you start? Where did you start in this kind of work? Sure. I started out as a substance abuse therapist. And I did that for 20 years in um, a multitude of settings, inpatient, like residential with adults, and then um, outpatient with adults and adolescents. And then I ended up running an, um, an adolescence program, an intensive outpatient program. And then I worked at a school, a behavioral, um, a private therapeutic day school um, for students who were not successful in their homeschool and for a number of reasons. And they came to our school for some extra supports. And I worked with those students who had uh, substance abuse. Well, that's fascinating. Tell me, I've never heard of such a thing, the private school like that. Sure. So these are the, these are the students who, um, um, their behavioral health symptoms like anxiety or depression or ADHD either make it uh, difficult for them to manage in class or cause some school refusal issues or they're snorting cocaine during prom or they're setting off the fire alarm, or they're self-injuring, um, they're not able to manage themselves. And so um, the school district, um, we have a, it's um, rather like a lot of, some schools have self-contained classrooms for students like this, but that's uh -huh. not enough. That's not always enough. So our school, which was um, first through 12th grade, um, you know, worked with students um, that had all of these issues and we had, so I was a substance abuse therapist. They also had an art therapist and a speech therapist and an occupational therapist. Um, in addition to their own therapist that, that they would see, you know, during, and we would pull them out of class to provide these services while they're during their school day. 
uh, they would have like an individualized education plan to accommodate their special needs so that they could be successful. And many of them returned to their homeschool after they got those needed supports and some of them stayed and graduated. That's, that's wonderful. I, I'm delighted to hear that that exists, that that kind of uh, system is there. Right. I didn't know it existed either. And once I got into it, I found that they were all over the place and I had no idea. No, the secret. They're keeping a secret from us all. Anyway, one of the funny things was, and I know that's not a funny subject in terms of the, the, the abuse and the difficulty that the kids have. But when you said set off fire alarms, I'm saying, what's so strange about that? That's what we all did in high school. <laughs> right. Things have changed, have they not? They have, unfortunately. There's there's more serious nature to things today. Right. How does it differ today? How how does this move for you now? What is this different for you? Um, I, I'm not exactly sure what you're asking. Well, I'm saying how you, being a doing substance abuse either individually or with the students to today's work, being a case manager. How is that different? Oh, gotcha. So I am not providing direct therapy. I am getting them connected to people that can provide their their resources. I do everything over the phone. I work with folks who live in Southern Illinois and I'm up in Northern Illinois. And, um, and there's very few resources in that particular area because it's so rural. But um, so my goal is I work, I speak with them at least once a month and check in. You know, I put a care plan together based upon goals that they want to work on for their health care whether that's see a dentist or stay on medication or um, some needed medical equipment or something like that, or get food. Uh, and so I put a care plan together and then check in with them to see how things are going and what they need. So I, got, um, I might talk about coping skills a little bit here and there, but I am not providing that therapeutic support. Right. And what I was just thinking is that you do that. How, how many people do you work with over a course of a week, let's say? Oh, well, um, I have about um, 30, about 34 members on my caseload that I talk to at least once a month. And then I'm always um, onboarding new folks. So uh, like if I were to look at my little tally sheet for today, I probably have 15 unsuccessful phone calls and, and about five maybe successful phone calls. And I attended a training and, and things like that. So um, I do talk with a lot of people. Right. Um, out of it, you know, another problem with um, not only rural, the rural population, but the Medicaid population is that they're hard to reach and they're transient. And so I do spend um, a considerable amount of time just trying to find people, um, get an updated phone number or um, get them to answer the phone. So well, with, all the, with all the telemarketing going on, it could sound suspicious. So Right. Yes. Who's calling me and why? How do they uh, get on your list? Who refers them to you or who makes it sure? So there's a list because I work for the insurance company. Um, we will be alerted if they have been in the hospital, in the psychiatric hospital, if they've been um, in, in drug treatment, residential or outpatient. And so become I'm a behavioral health case manager, then, and then they get sent to me. So like on my team, I, there's a whole team of people that work in, in the Southern Illinois region. Some are nurses, some are um, um, more social workers or, or administrators, our manager, and then the behavioral health case managers. So whether they have a physical health issue or a behavioral health issue dep depends on which one of us they get to. Um, but that's how I would be alerted. Is right. by, do, you, do you interact with your team? Do you see all those other people? 
I do. I do. And actually, um, I was sent home with COVID kicking and screaming as a flaming extrovert and um, did not want to be working in an office all by myself and was so grateful that, um, you know, we would have Zoom. We have Zoom meetings, you know, three times a week. We are able to see each other. Um, we connect and, um, and do have interactions. But I did not realize that at the time that I was sent home. Well, we were sent home for three weeks and now, um, you know, Two and a half years later, we're still at home and never always going to be at home. But um, so, right, we do we do interact. Um, well, interacting seems to be not, as, not only important for our own psyche, but in terms of having people to talk to about, I've got a case and maybe there's something unusual here. I, I know most of this, but some of this seems to fall in your bailiwick. Can you right. give me some advice or counsel? Does that kind of happen sometimes? does sure it does and and i found that in the team meetings is the best time to do that because we're all there and we you know the power of uh the knowledge of multiple multiple people is always greater than the the knowledge of one or two people so uh these these are pretty intelligent folks that have been doing it a lot longer than i do so i rely on them quite a bit but you now are a zoom fan i take it <laughs> perhaps i'd like to think so do you do you do, well? This is off the subject, but do you do Zoom elsewhere with family and stuff like that? Um, a little bit, but mostly. I mean, I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and we have I have a meeting at my house every Wednesday because the church kicked us out, you know, with COVID. Right. So we've been meeting in my home for the past two and a half, uh, three years, two and a half years, and some of our folks Zoom in um, if they're sick or if they're far away or if they're traveling or something like that, then they can Zoom in and. Um, and uh, so, yes. Well, there are also, uh, I assume, as there are in New York, other AA meetings online on Zoom. Hundred percent accurate. Yes, and and there were um, there were before COVID um, some chat rooms and that people would attend meetings and such like that. Um, I my personal opinion is live meetings have a whole different um, sense of power and camaraderie to them. Um, but Zoom has been a fabulous uh, step in, you know, um, a fabulous um, another option for us. Yes, an, an alternative, definitely an alternative. Right. Better, it's better than not having the ability to go to a meeting. No kidding. Or to not be able to see people. Yeah. Yeah. The seeing is also very important. It uh, is. You know, it, it does. It's, I mean, that's part of what we're all evolving with. And how does that, that I guess that's an interesting question that I have. Well, I think it's interesting <laughs> if you agree. Uh, how has the pandemic affected your clients? How have they been affected by this? That's a, that is a fabulous question. Um, because the if you had any mental health symptoms before, they were only exacerbated. If you didn't have any, many people now do. The suicide rate is off the charts. Right. We were getting... Um, I could be exaggerating. It seemed like we were getting 5,000 new members a month. Um, also, because many people lost employment or had a reduction in pay or something else um, came into play that um, made their financial resources limited. So Medicaid became um, an option for many more people than, than normal. Norm. We have... Um, so the pandemic has given me a lot of job security, not for the right reasons, um, but I'm glad that I'm able to, you know, provide some kind of supports for those who are struggling. And is there, I, this probably is not quite clear, is there struggle different 
I mean, is it is is it harder for them because the pandemic still exists or because the feelings still exist around it? Uh, I'm not sure that I can answer that question. I think it's going to be different for a lot of people. But let's say, for example, you know, somebody had anxiety and then they were told to stay home. Well, I mean, that's exactly what they wanted was to be told that they couldn't go out. However, they weren't developing coping skills and then and then it increased the isolation. And then, you know, so then maybe there's some depressive symptoms or other things um, uh, were um, revealed that would not necessarily have been there if there wasn't a pandemic or substance abuse. My gosh. I mean, could you believe that an out, that a liquor store was an essential, an essential business? I really had an issue with that. And, um, and, and the, apparently the, apparently the justification for that was that people who were drinking alcoholically would, you know, were set up for danger if they didn't have access to their alcohol. Well, you know, you can get alcohol at Walmart and other stores, the liquor stores, I think would be fair for them to shut down. But um, that's my opinion. <laughs> my opinion but we're allowed, you're allowed to have an opinion. That's, that's okay. But it does seem like, I, I was thinking that, as you said, for those of us who didn't have severe mental problems, I think we all have mental problems, whatever that may mean. Uh, before the pandemic, we certainly have something more intense since. I mean, one of the things that we've noticed is uh, because we're older, maybe, or just because we're human and we don't want to get the get the virus, we tended during the pandemic to stay very low. You know, to really, you know, not see a lot of people, family maybe, and do a lot of Zoom with family. As things have seemed to become easier, we have said, okay, we'll now see some people. We'll go out a little bit. You know, with it restricted, and the result was anxious. We were anxious. Was it, was it safe? Is it okay? And even things like uh, uh, forgetting how to do stuff, you know, how to ride the subway. <laughs> right. right. Yep. Yeah. I think it's, um, there's no going back to normal there, to the way it was. There's, there will never be a return to that. And the hope is, is that we have all, um, or most of us at least have, you know, a different appreciation or perspective on life and the opportunity for gatherings and togetherness and hugs and, um, and, and I think for cleanliness too, I think that there were some necessary protocols and, and I don't want to get into opinions about masks or this or that, but, um, but just some basic, you know, um, not sharing, reducing the opportunities to share germs, you know, right. That, yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's right. And um, I mean, one of the things on a, I guess on a not less serious level is kids going to kindergarten and, you know, first grade tend to share all of their germs and get and get sick, get the measles or something. And I don't want to say measles, but, you know, get get little little bugs. And to some degree, that helps them, as I understand it, to build immunity. Exactly. And actually want them to get some of that stuff. Now the problem is that what they might get or we might get if we mingle too much is not not just a cold. And that's right. the real problem. Because what it, what it has done, and that's something else I've heard, and maybe you've seen this, have you, uh, where because people have not been out and because they've stayed away from a lot of groups, that when they go out now, they're more susceptible to a germ, that, and it might not be a serious germ, but just to a cold or a flu type of thing. Is that right? I haven't heard that. Yeah, I've heard that from doctors, that the doctor office is full of that. I mean, because they're getting more people coming into the office. Mm -hmm. And that... Mm -hmm. 
bring they bring whatever they bring. Well, I think too is people are going to the doctors a lot quicker and more often be, just to have things checked out because the variety of COVID symptoms is extreme. You know, um, you, you can have it and be asymptomatic, or you can have it and, and be super severe, and and it's stomach and it's sinus and it's all kinds of different things. So it's hard to know. Um, exactly. Exactly. So from your point of view, I mean, your, your personal experience, I mean, the one thing happened is you, you ended up falling in love with Zoom or falling in love with being, being at home and still being able to be in touch with people. Right. I mean, um, but what else happened for you? What is the intensity that came to you in terms of emotional, spiritual, physical stuff that happened during the pandemic or now? What do you feel has gone on for you? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, wow, that's a loaded question. Um, so it is uh, in my home is my daughter and I a cat and a lizard. Actually, the cat was a COVID cat. It was a, a rescue from when I got sent home. Um, the cat moved in after I got sent home from COVID. But uh, and how old I, is your daughter? She's 17. 17. So she's a teenager. Uh huh. Um, I, I realized that you know, this is an opportunity because the two, two strong females in one home for an indefinite amount of time, unwillingly, um, but it was an opportunity. It was an opportunity that I will, will never have again. And do I want to look at it as um, a blessing or do I want to look at it as, as a, a curse or a challenge and, and to really try to take advantage of that opportunity to, to um, you know, have, my daughter's not going to be around forever. She's not going to be living with me forever. And, um, and how to create some, some peace and adventure and fun in that journey where we're both at home, kicking and screaming, <laughs> that we're not doing that with each other, but hopefully creating more of a bond. That's, that's wonderful. And you, it sounds like you feel you did create a bond or, or more of a bond. In some ways, I, I mean, I, it's, it's, it's been a learning curve. Um, she and I just had the opportunity. We were in Greece last week, actually. And uh, we've had some Wonderful. amazing travel opportunities. And um, she's a great traveler. And, um, you know, I, and, and as she's individuating, um, each day presents its own set of challenges. Yes, obviously. Well, that, that's part of the, the issue with teen quote teenagers. It's not that teenagers are bad or wrong or anything. It's they have to move away. I mean, our, actually, <laughs> sometimes it feels like she's an alien. Well, that's true. I mean, I understand that. Our our daughter's 24 and she she was with us for the uh about a year and a half into the a year into the pandemic, I guess. And she said finally, look, I've got to go. I've got to be with people my age because I love you and you're my parents, but I would either kill you or kill myself. Yeah. And so she, she found roommates and they are living in happily in Brooklyn now. Great. Oh, that's wonderful. My son is in Queens. He lives in Queens. How old is he? He's 29. And that's lovely. So he's, he's in Queens. Yeah. Yeah. So he's going to be coming for Christmas. That'll be a fabulous time to have everybody the three of us together for christmas that's delightful now back to the work that you do and the kind of work because it's just again something i hadn't been aware of people it's under the under the radar of most people i think does this exist I and mean, you're in the chicago the illinois area i imagine this kind of service uh, exists elsewhere yeah correct so 
uh, there's lots of different branches of Medicaid. We're just, I'm, I work for Aetna and, um, and, but there's Meridian and Ambetter and all different divisions and they all have similar extra benefits. Like folks are oftentimes very surprised. Like, why are you doing this? I've never had anybody do this for me. Like, I, I don't understand. Like they're suspicious that I, I want to be so helpful and get them food and get them transportation and, and um, you know, help to support them and spend time with them on the phone. And so, yes, um, other- Well, you know, that's, that's, that's wonderful. And I guess I could ask you the same question. Why does an insurance company wish to do this? Because, <laughs> well, it's all about money, unfortunately. Of course, of course. Mine is it is it is easier to pay me to help them stay out of the hospital than to continue to pay for them to stay in. Well, that that's actually a very positive thing. I mean, to look at it that way and see if we can help people from getting sicker, then right. you know we're ahead of the game as opposed to because they pay for it if, if the people get sick. Correct, and I'm not sure that anybody is living their best life if they are in the hospital or um, actively using substances. Absolutely not, not at all. So, so you're providing a service. So I, I was, I got away from something, but as far as you understand, like if you live as we do in New Jersey or, New, or you're in New York or Pennsylvania, these services, if you're on Medicaid, would probably be available. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's really good to know. I think it's important because right. people. So it's just a side note, the people that don't, haven't been called, so to speak, it's because they haven't been in the hospital or they're not having claims that would alert us. Yes, yes. Well, they're semi-healthier compared to what you're talking about. Precisely, yeah. So tell me, we're almost out of time, uh, but before I ask you to give us information about how the people can reach you, what is it for you that is satisfying, besides getting a paycheck, obviously, but what is it about doing this work that's satisfying to you? And, and this was a piece that I wasn't aware of because as a therapist, I'm, you're always developing relationships, but I had no idea that I was going to develop relationships with these folks over the phone, you know, and that they would call me and they would, you know, we would talk about our personal lives and, um, and that we would know about our kids, you know, I would know their kids' names and what their pets are and, and things that they like to do and that we would um, have more of a relate of a, of a, not a, a less, it, not only a professional relationship. That's what I'm trying to say. Not only a professional relationship, but that um, you know we know each other as people. Yeah. Well, no. You know what I see here, and that is not just you know professional or non-professional. It's a healing to be heard, to have someone to talk with, to not only about my quote problems, but just about who I am. That I have a daughter. That I have a house. That I live somewhere. Uh, and particularly as we're experiencing in this uh, period around the pandemic, where we don't go meet a lot of new people, uh, you are meeting new people all the time. Right. And, and I think, too, reg regardless of pandemic, but mental illness, including substance abuse, carries so much shame. Yes. Um, that that causes isolation. And then the isolation, you know, then cuts us off from the human connection. And that human connection is so important. It's like. I, I, you cannot really describe it, but it's like a light goes off inside of you once you make that connect, connection with someone. I discovered even during the pandemic, walking around here in Jersey City, and you know, at the beginning we all had masks on and stuff, but people said hello. Just the small act of having someone see me and say hello, it felt warm, it felt very nice. Sure. I, I think that's what we all need and want. Right. 
I think that regardless of, of where you are on the extroversion, introversion spectrum, we all have the desire to be to love and to be loved, and that that can come in many different levels or depths. Yes, absolutely. Well, this has been delightful, and to learn that this service exists is helpful. I'm very glad. I'm very glad we found out about that, and I hope other people who are here listening. Now, if people who are listening have more questions about it and would like to learn some more, how can they best reach out to you? Okay. So I can um, provide my email and phone number, if you like. Whatever you are comfortable with. So um, my uh, e my email is uh, JLT. 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 C-H-O-C at yahoo.com. Yahoo.com, okay. I'll do that one more time. J-L-T-C-H-O-C at yahoo.com. Excellent. And then a phone is 847-845-9718. Say that one more time. 847-845-9718. Nine seven one eight. Nine seven one eight. Well, Jen, thank you very much. That's wonderful. You have been a great guest, and I'm very happy that you're on. You've been on the show. And okay. my final question. I have a final question. What is your out of all of this that you've been doing? What hope do you have for a time when we can actually say the pandemic is done, even though there might always be getting a flu? But what what hope do you have for the future based on what you've experienced these last two and a half years? I hope that uh, we have a greater sense of appreciation for, um, for community and for unity and peace. And that, you know, there would be let more inclusion. You know, we wouldn't, um, the, the way we, oh gosh, um, I wanna limit my words here. How there's been so much violence and um, racial tension. And I mean, we're all human. We're all part of the human race but people have focused so much on differences when we're more alike than we are different. And my hope is, is that we could appreciate each other's differences rather than see it as wrong. Well, that's wonderful. I agree with you. I think that's a marvelous thing for us to be able to appreciate each other and to, to see us as a human being. You're human, I'm human. And therefore not to, and to go with love versus hate. Mm -hmm. Correct. So thank you so much for being on our show. You're welcome.